0: Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
1: As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit hackerone.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, hackerone.com slash AI dash safety dash security. So, Michael, I have to give you some credit on something. Really? Well, okay. Hey, I I could use some credit. Let's hear it. (laughs) All right. Well, remember our last episode of Rocket Ship? We broke down April Dunford's talk from industry. Well, I admit, when you told me that that's how we were going to shape the episode... Let me guess, you were skeptical? Well, okay, well, only a little, because it's just because we have really done that before. We have not taken a conference talk and sort of turned it into an episode, and they can be kind of tough to turn into solid episodes. I mean, there's slides, and sometimes, you know, speakers will reference the slides. It's not not necessarily always straightforward to turn into a podcast.
0: Okay, well, I will try <laughs> to not be offended that you didn't have 100% faith in me.
1: Uh, come on, it's not like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I just mess around. <laughs> so, so you said you have to give some credit.
1: Yeah. Well, so we released that episode and the feedback's honestly been awesome. I mean, I've yeah. been getting some tweets and some direct messages. I, I think we kinda pulled it off. Yeah. Well, I I've been getting good feedback on it too, and
0: it's great to hear. So my guess is we're gonna do it again. Maybe
1: sooner than you think. Hold on, let me guess. All right. I this time broke down another talk from industry. And uh, actually Rahul Bora, the CEO of Superhuman, he gave an awesome talk about the product market fit engine. And uh, yeah, I mean it was one of the highest rated talks of the conference. So, let's
0: get down to breaking it down. Does that work? <laughs> let's do it. Welcome to rocketship.fm.
1: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belcito.
0: So we're going to break down Rahul Vora. He's the CEO of Superhuman. And he did a fantastic talk at Industry 2019. And uh, I am really excited for this because I probably missed half the talk. But the parts that I caught were fantastic.
1: Yeah, and you know, Rahul is is this really captivating speaker uh, and the topic itself i mean it focuses on what a lot of entrepreneurs and product people you know kind of seem like it's the holy grail for them it's product market fit yeah the elusive product market fit but it's always necessary to thrive as a new product you have to hit it yes and according to rahul though there's actually a process to achieve product market fit it's not like this thing that just happens like you can get there sort of systematically um i he refers to it as an engine and So I guess if you want to think of it that way, it's like if you know how to build an engine and keep that engine running, you could put your product on a path to success. But before we get there, we should probably
2: define what product market fit really is in the first place. As we all know, product market fit is the number one reason why products succeed. And the lack of product market fit is the number one reason why products fail. But what really is product market fit? Well, Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, would say product market fit is when you've made something that people want. Sam Altman, up until recently the president of Y Combinator, would say that product market fit is when your users love your product so much that they spontaneously tell other people to go and use it. But it is perhaps Mark Andreessen arguably the most successful venture capitalist of all time, who has the most vivid and compelling definition. He says, you can almost always feel it when product market fit is not happening. Customers aren't quite getting value. Users aren't quite growing that fast. Word of mouth is not spreading fast enough. The press reviews are kind of blah, and the sales cycle is taking too damn long. You can almost always feel it when product market fit is happening. Customers are buying as fast as you can add servers. You're hiring sales and support as fast as you can. Reporters are constantly calling you about your hot new thing. Investors are camping outside your house and money is piling up in your checking account. This is indeed a vivid and compelling definition and one that I was staring at through tears In the summer of 2017.
0: The summer of 2017, when it first introduced its beta product on a soft launch, and Raul said he was in tears?
1: Yes, and we'll find out why. But first, we have to go back in time. Back in time? Yeah, actually about seven years back in time when Raul launched a different business, one where he got a front row seat in how business users actually interact with their email. Um, He had founded a company called Reportive, which you might be familiar with. Yeah, I remember using Reportive. And eventually it was acquired by LinkedIn, right? That's right. Um, But that got started in 2010. So let's go back to
2: 2010. In 2010, I started a company called Reportive. We built the first Gmail plugin to scale to millions of users. When people emailed you, you could see what they look like, where they work, their recent tweets, and links to their social profiles. We grew rapidly, and two years later, we were acquired by LinkedIn. Now, during these years, I developed a very intimate view of how professionals do their email. And I saw bizarrely Gmail getting worse every single year, becoming more cluttered, using more memory, consuming more CPU, slowing down your laptop, and still not working properly offline. And on top of that, People would add plugins like our own reportive, but also things like Clearbit, Yesware, Mixmax, Boomerang, you name it, they had it. And each of these plugins took those problems of clutter, memory, CPU, performance, offline, and made all of them dramatically worse. So
0: the more needs people had for their email, the more functionality their email started to get either natively or with plugins.
1: And the less user-friendly it got, the more difficult it actually became to use. And that seemingly was where the opportunity for superhuman was born? You've got it. And so Rahul and his team set out to build the first iteration of what today is now known as superhuman. So they started building and started building and a few months went by, which turned into two years. Two years? And I mean, what were people saying about the product? Well, Nothing because it wasn't really a product yet. It hadn't even launched.
2: We decided it was time for change. We imagined an email experience that is blazingly fast, where searches are instantaneous, where every interaction takes place in 100 milliseconds or less, an email experience where you never had to touch the mouse, where you could do everything from the keyboard and fly through your inbox, an email experience that just worked offline so you could be productive from anywhere. An email experience that had the best Gmail plugins built in natively, and yet was still somehow subtle, minimal, and visually gorgeous. And so, in the summer of 2015, we set up our office and we started to write code. In the summer of 2016, we were still writing code, and in the summer of 2017, we were still writing code. I felt this deep, incredible pressure to launch, both from my team and also from within myself. After all, my last company, Reportive, had started, scaled, and been acquired in less time. Here we were, two years in, and we had still not launched. But deep down inside, I knew that a launch would go very badly. It would not be the Mark Andreessen story. I did not believe that we had products market fit. But I couldn't just say that to the team. These are hyper ambitious, super intelligent engineers. They poured their hearts and their souls into building this product. It's not what they would want to hear. And so I started my search for the holy grail, for a way to define product market fit, for a metric to measure product market fit, and for a methodology to systematically increase product market fit.
0: Okay, now that we know the backstory of Superhuman, what's today known as the fastest email platform around, it's time to understand how Raul ultimately learned that product market fit engine he was searching for and how he was able to apply it to their business. Yes,
1: but first we should probably stop here for a quick word from our sponsors. So Raúl saw this big opportunity for a more streamlined, more user-friendly email, one that lets you get to inbox zero faster than any other email service could. But in building the product for two years, he realized that before he even could launch it, he had to understand not just what product market fit is, but how it can actually be achieved and how he could actually get there. And while there are many definitions of what product market fit is, the one that
0: resonated the most with Raúl was from a growth expert. Sean Ellis, who's actually
2: been on the show. Sean ran early growth at Dropbox. Log me in and Eventbrite. He coined the term growth hacker. Sean found a leading indicator. One that is benchmarked and predictive. Ask your users this question. How would you feel if you could no longer use the product? And measure the percent that answer very disappointed. After benchmarking against hundreds of startups, Sean found that the companies that struggled to grow almost always had less than 40%, but the companies that grew the most easily almost always had more than 40%. In other words, if 40% or more of your users would be very disappointed without your product, then you have initial product market fit.
1: So the definition of product market fit from Sean Ellis was really about answering a simple question. How many of your customers would be disappointed if your product didn't even exist? And what's interesting about that definition is that you can actually measure it, right? And continue to track it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Rahul started to do. But it wasn't just measuring and tracking. There's more to it than that. In fact, there are multiple steps that Rahul talked about, and he starts to lay it all out right here. Step one
2: is survey. Email these four questions to every user. How would you feel if you could no longer use the product? Who do you think this product is best for? What's the main benefit of this product to you? And how can we improve this product for you? Now, it's critical that your users have had the opportunity to experience the core benefit of the product. They should have gone around the key loop once, Maybe twice. At Superhuman, we actually wait until they've sent a certain number of emails, and it usually takes about two or three weeks for users to receive this survey. Analyze the results to question number one. These are the actual results for Superhuman from the summer of 2017. Only 22% of our users would have been very disappointed without our product. We clearly did not have product-market fit. Now, this may seem sad, but now at least I had a way to explain our situation to the team, and most excitingly, I had a cunning plan to increase this number. Which brings us to step two of the engine segment. We want to understand who are the people who really love our product. I like to use the concept of the high-expectation customer, which is a concept I found from Julie Supan. Julie ran early marketing at Dropbox, Airbnb, and many other great companies. The high-expectation customer is the most discerning person in your target demographic. Others aspire to be like them because they consider them to be judicious, or clever, or insightful. For example, The Dropbox HXC wants to simplify their life. They are technically savvy, they're trusting, ultimately they want to save time, and at the end of the day, they just want to know that someone has their back when it comes to protecting their life's work. I'm an example of the Dropbox HXC, and I imagine many of us here are also. The Airbnb HXC doesn't simply want to visit new places. They want to travel like they belong. They want to experience Paris as if they really live there. And Airbnb rose to its early success by catering to these tastemakers and influencers. So, how do you create your own high expectation customer? Take the survey results. Filter down to just those people who said they'd be very disappointed without your product. And look at their answers to question number two, who do you think this product is best for? This is a very powerful question, because happy users will almost always answer it by describing themselves, but in the words that matter most to them. You can then take these words and use them to build a rich and detailed description of your high expectation customer. So it starts with a survey.
0: You're gonna ask your users how disappointed they would be if your product never existed. And then you segment your audience based on those results. From there, you can learn who really loves your product. Then you look to see how that group answered the question of who is this product really built for? Now, they'll probably be describing themselves but in a way that matters to them. And that's critical because you can now start to speak the language of this customer group in the way that they describe
1: themselves and your product. Yes. And we can move on to step two, but before we even get there, Rahul first brings one of the personas at this stage to life.
2: So meets Nicole. She is the superhuman HXC. She's a hard-working professional. She deals with many people. She might be an executive, a founder, a manager. She works long hours, and often into the weekend. She considers herself very busy, and she wishes she had more time. Now, she does feel she's productive, and she's self-aware enough to realize that she could be better. But she also feels like she doesn't have the time to figure out how to be better. She does a ton of email. She receives hundreds of emails a day on a busy day. She might send as many as 80. And critically, most importantly, she considers it part of her job to be responsive, because if she's not, she could block her team, damage her reputation, or miss opportunities. Now, she does aim to get to inbox zero, and she gets there at most two or three times a week, and you know, every once in a while, she's gonna have to declare inbox bankruptcy. Fortunately, she generally has a growth mindset, but unfortunately for us, she actually probably has a fixed mindset about email. She's been happily using whatever she's been using for a while, and she's skeptical that new software would actually make her faster. Once you have your rich and detailed description of your high expectation customer, go back to your survey results and assign a persona to each one. And this is a little bit of magic. We're going to take the personas of the very disappointed users, in our case, founders, managers, executives, and business development, and we're going to use them to narrow the market. That means we're going to deliberately disregard, in this example, sales, engineering, data science, and success. And with that, they go away And our product market fit score immediately jumps 10% from 22 to 32. We're not quite at 40% yet, but that is a huge leap for just two minutes of work. So by continuing to
1: segment, you might be losing some of the total market. But more importantly, you're honing
0: in on who your product is best serving. And once you find the very defined group, you can make it even better for them but you can also find the segment where you're close right so we're going to move on to step three but let's take a quick word from our sponsors All right, so right before the break, we're about to move on to step three, talking about not only the segment that perfectly matches your product, but the
2: segment where you're close to them loving your product. On to step three of the engine, analyze. Now we need to understand two things. Why do people love our product? And equally, what holds people back from loving our product? To understand why people love our product, Once again, go back to the surveys. Filter down to just those who'd be very disappointed without our product. Remember, these are the people who love it. And analyze their answers to question number three. What is the main benefit of the product to you? Let's take a look at some example answers. Superhuman is much faster. The overall speed is much better than Gmail. I get through my inbox in half the time. The app is crazy fast. Shortcuts makes me an actual superhuman much faster than Gmail, more efficient with my time, work through incoming email more quickly, speed, aesthetics. I can do everything from the keyboard and a great set of keyboard shortcuts. Once you have your answers, throw them on a word cloud, and it will become clear as day. People love superhuman for the speed, the focus, and the keyboard shortcuts. And now for some more magic. Let's go back to this pie. The very disappointed segment is a bit larger now because we just did that segmentation. Now, can we convert more people to being in the very disappointed segment? Absolutely, but we have to do so very carefully. First of all, we must politely disregard the not disappointed crowd. These people are so far away from loving our product that there is nothing that we can do that will make them jump into the very disappointed crowd. And this might be hard, because they'll probably be very vocal and ultimately very distracting. So, and I cannot stress this enough, politely disregard their feedback. That leaves the somewhat disappointed crowd. Once again, We can't just directly act on the feedback. If we did, we would end up with a muddled and a confused product. So how do we know who to listen to? Well, we segment again. We take the main benefit of the very disappointed users that we just calculated, and we use that to bifurcate the somewhat disappointed crowd into the set for whom it resonated and the set for whom it didn't. Let's consider the set for whom the main benefit did not resonate. Once again, we're going to politely disregard their feedback, because if you acted on it, even if you built everything that these folks were asking for, they still would not fall in love with your product. The main point of your product does not resonate. But the other crowd, well, we pay them very special attention. Because something, and probably something small, is holding them back from falling in love with your product. And if you build that thing, you can turn them from being on the fence into fanatics who evangelize and adore what you do. So we're starting to see how Raul
0: was able to use this model to literally find the next features to build in order to start to win over that next group of new customers.
1: Yeah, and Raul literally says that this process created his initial roadmap. Like the the process itself sort of defined what that roadmap actually was.
2: Now at the time when we ran this survey, we didn't have a mobile app. We have, of course, since fixed that. But beyond that... The insights become less obvious and more interesting. Integrations, attachment calendaring, better search, calendaring, and so on into the long tail. To increase your product market fit score, all you need to do is build these things. And that brings us onto step four of the engine, which is implement. We now understand why people love our product, and equally, we understand why people don't love our product. This is where the engine automatically generates our roadmap for us. We should spend half our time doubling down on what people love. For Superhuman, that would be more speed, more keyboard shortcuts, more focus, more aesthetics. And just as importantly, half our time systematically overcoming the objections of the somewhat disappointed crowd for whom the main benefit resonated. Now, why, you might ask, Would we do both of these things? Isn't this inherently split-focus? And the answer is yes, but it's so important. If, for example, we only doubled down on what people love, as vision-driven teams are wont to do, then we will never increase the percentage of people who love our product. If, on the other hand, we only systematically overcome objections as data-driven teams tend to do, then at some point, a competitor will come along and double down on love better than we do and steal market share. So this is the framework that
0: Superhuman used from the very beginning.
1: But it's important to know that this isn't a one-time exercise. Right. No, it's it's not about... I'm um, just doing this and then it's like, hey, we're there, You know, great, now we can launch this. Uh, for Rahul, it's, it's a continual process. I mean, it, it's one that he really believes has enabled Superhuman to not only find product market fit, but continue to hone in on it with each group after group after group. And it's something they still use today.
2: This framework will work, but there are no silver bullets. And that means that as you're doubling down on love, And as you're systematically overcoming objections, we need to be constantly surveying new users as a continuous process over time. Do not consider this as a one time or a batch thing. This should be built into the DNA of how we evolve our product. I recommend tracking the product market fit score every week, month, quarter with increasingly coarse aggregation. Let's take a look at Superhuman. In the summer of 2017, after our segmentation exercise, the product market fit score was 33%. After another quarter, it was 47%. The next quarter, it was 56%. And the quarter after that, it was 58%. 58%, and it has remained at this point since then, 58% of our users would be very disappointed without Superhuman. The Product Market Fit engine really does work because it gives you a way to define Product Market Fit. It gives you a metric to measure Product Market Fit. It gives you a methodology to systematically increase Product Market Fit. And it will even write your roadmap for you, fusing vision and data.
0: Well, hearing the backstory of Superhuman and then learning how they actually got to where they are now, it's not just interesting, it's
1: pretty actionable. Yeah, I mean, I think the way he explains it, it's kind of eye-opening for me. It makes me wonder, you know, hey, how can I apply this to Product Collective and industry? Uh, Because I think it's something that's applicable, whether it's a tech business, but also a conference business or, you know, any kind of business, really. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so... That kind of brings us to the end here. Now we've
0: done two of these kind of breaking down a conference talk, which I've really enjoyed. But I want to hear from everyone listening. What do you think of this
1: style of episode? Not that we're going to do it all the time, but we're just curious. Should we be doing this more? Yeah, let us know. I mean, we are on Twitter. You can hit me up at at Belsito. Yeah, or uh, at Michael Saka at FM. We are not
0: hard to find. (laughs) Definitely
1: not. So let us know what you think.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to
1: thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.